Hi guys, Greg O'Rourke here from FretDojo.com, the website helping you become a better jazz guitarist. Now, in today's session, I've got something very exciting to share with you. I recently had an interview with Greg Stott, who is the resident jazz guitarist at the Australian National University and also an associate lecturer there. And he had an amazing conversation with me about all sorts of tips when it comes to getting better at jazz guitar, a special look at comping and how you can get that side of your playing underneath your fingers and a whole lot more. So we'll get into the interview very soon, but just before I forget, make sure that you check out the brand new course that I collaborated on with Greg, which is a comping deep dive where Greg's going to share with you the secrets on how to get the foundations of comping under your fingers and so that you can fill in any gaps of your playing when it comes to comping. And you can actually access this for free for 14 days by signing up to a free trial for my Fret Dojo Jazz Guitar Academy, which is my online learning platform. So make sure that you check out that new course. It's a wonderful course, one of the best in the academy so far. And you can get a free trial for that by signing up at fretdojo.com. Okay, well, without further ado, let's get into the interview with Greg Stott. It's great to have you on here, Greg. It's uh, wonderful you've got the time to do a bit of a bit of a podcast with us today, and we're going to be talking about the ins and outs of comping and your new album uh, coming up soon. Two albums, in fact, and uh, a bunch of other stuff besides. So it's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks very much for asking me. It's fun to to. I'm a bit of a um, podcast noob, so um, this will be fun. Thanks. Go easy. <laughs> Go easy on you. Oh, don't worry. I, I don't buy it too hard. <laughs> it's always nice when I've got someone on the show to, to hear about, uh, you know, where you started with jazz guitar and your influences and, you know, where did it all begin for you? And, and did, were, you, were you a jazz guitarist off the bat or, or did you dabble in other styles first? Um, I, actually, my, I actually started playing clarinet. So I found out many years later that that's how Bill Frizzell started too, I, I believe. Um, but I started, and, and for this I'm eternally grateful, I started because of um, programs offered through my schools. Um, my parents um, weren't musicians. They're really kind of sort of crafty and creative people. My dad, you know, very handy, builds all sorts of stuff. My mum was like made wedding dresses and all this kind of stuff, but um, they didn't play music. And so my start was I... I absolutely owe it to this program that was running in the primary schools in Canberra, the instrumental music program, and they got me started in music. It was on clarinet. I played that for a while, and um, and then by the time I got to high school, I was sort of getting interested in guitar. One big thing I definitely remember is when I was maybe 13 or 14, um, in Canberra, many people in Canberra would know of the Gambales because um, one of the Gambales used to run one of the big music stores here and his brother. Oh, really? So, um, yep. So there's lots of Gambales around. Oh, what, 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 what store was that? That was Pro Audio. Oh, really? You're kidding. Yeah. So that was run by um, Nunzio, I think, but certainly. So, so, so the, the brother of the great Frank Gambale. Brother of the great Frank Gambale, who's a Canberra local. Um, well, uh, I'm not sure when he left Canberra. I mean, he's well, he's he's a generation ahead of me, and I don't, I certainly don't know him. But I 
know a couple of other Gambales. And I, I remember as a 13 or 14 year old, um, he came to Canberra, probably just visiting his family, and they got him to do a workshop. And um, I went along to that, having just played in a few little rock bands at school and stuff. And I went to that and was just like, you know, freaked out at what could be done on the guitar. I'd never heard anything. It blew your mind. Blew my mind. I think that was probably, there was in the mid 80s sometime he was on the cover of Guitar Player magazine, one of those years. And so that was like, you know, that really inspired me to actually sort of take guitar like a serious challenge to get better at rather than just kind of be a fun thing to do at school and, you know, sort of still playing clarinet. And the clarinet sort of, I kept going for a while because I had a lot of friends through bands that I was playing in and stuff, but certainly guitar just kind of took over from there. And from that I gradually discovered, um, you know, a lot of the other modern guitarists of the time. I mean, I certainly, the three well, four really big ones. I was into Matheny, um, John Schofield, um, Bill Frizzell, and John McLaughlin. I was definitely really into those guys. And um, I kind of, like so many of us, we worked backwards and discovered George Benson and Pat Martino, um, Joe Pass, you know, all the way back to Charlie Christian and Django. And I, and I love that stuff. And so yeah, I'm I'm typical of of uh, some of the more recent generations in that you know you start with the modern stuff and you work backwards. Just growing up in Australia, that's not going to happen any other way, really. So yeah, I didn't actually have a lot of I I just uh, picked up what I could from magazines and you know VHSs and knowing a few older people weren't always guitarists, but um, just playing in bands and trying to improvise and, you know, I got I got a lot of mileage out of the handout that I got from Frank's um, workshop when I went to that as a teenager, you know, just all the modes and stuff mm. like that. I mean, it was like, it was, um, it was, that kept me going for a fair while, plenty to work on. No, it sounds, it sounds like, um, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? If you're self-motivated um, and you're interested enough, then then you really can achieve uh, amazing things even outside of a kind of a more formalized kind of framework. But it's kind of interesting that that might dovetail into something I wanted to ask you about. Is is you know obviously you're a um, a, a you know your head head lecturer in in jazz guitar there at the uh, ANU School of Music. Um, you know wh- how do you find the, this this kind of university-based education fits in the kind of the landscape of jazz education now kind of has it changed from from uh before you know with with all the abundance of resources you have now like you could you 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 just look um any direction you know on the internet or elsewhere now and and you can find all sorts of resources you know it's just be interesting to hear what your what your thoughts are on that kind of issue yeah look absolutely look overwhelmingly i think what what we have access to now is is overwhelmingly positive i mean you know and and i can't imagine how i would have responded if i'd been able to kind of um find all these sites like yours and get get access to the source without having to work it out um i mean i think there's benefits to kind of um having a bit of an idea and bumbling around and trying to work out your own conception of it and for some people i think they appreciate that process and I think I did but for other people I think that can be quite discouraging this um never quite being sure whether you're 
you know, you're, you're doing it right or, or whatever with, without the access to the really good instruction. Um, so I think back then, like, you could, you are, if you weren't a person who was just willing to take the leap and just try and work it out yourself, you had to kind of be lucky to have access to a good teacher, which some people did and some didn't, depending on where you grew up. And the university courses or at that stage, the School of Music was a, wasn't actually part of the ANU. It was its own separate institution. It became part of Australian National University later after I'd finished there. But, you know, courses like that were wonderful for just kind of giving you a, a great kind of concise, like you had no doubts about whether or not I mean, you were getting good information. It was like mm. you're getting mm. a really good structured program. And um, Mike, who um, had just started teaching there, not, Mike Price had just started teaching there not long before I went there and he'd been through Berkeley and so on and, and um, some people respond to those kinds of systems, others don't, but I just thought it was really great to um, have someone come in and have a really kind of structured system for teaching theory and, and, and so on. So I think, I think um, but the big hidden benefit of, of the universities and, and any other courses, post sort of high school type courses you can do, that is, that is still important in an era where we've got access to so much stuff, the big benefit is is the people you meet and that you're put in mm. situations where you're playing in ensembles. And so I actually think you can do it without it. Absolutely, you can do it without it. Um, the trick, I reckon, is to somehow work out how to put yourself in situations where you're meeting other people and playing with them or even playing for them, even just things like, forums and uploading videos and getting people con commenting on them and stuff that's a kind of that's a really um useful thing to do it's the sort of gold standard is like can you find someone you can jam with and the sort of momentum that comes from that interaction um is just is just gold and i think that's one real thing about university courses is that you are just put in a in a fairly intense, not in a bad way intense, but intense environment with a whole lot of like-minded people and you're playing with them. And so if you're not going to go to university, if you can somehow manufacture that experience by finding a community group or finding friends to, or, you know, then, yeah, that's, a, that's such an important part of, of the process is playing with other people. Yeah, that kind of collaborative feedback loop, isn't it? And um, that, that's, that's something that, that uh, it's it, for, for my kind of thing, which is the online education, it, it's, it's kind of not as prominent. Like, like often you just get kind of a, a course um, that you go through on your own, um, but, but kind of I've, I've tried to actually incorporate that as best I could in, in the, say, the Fret Dojo Academy. We have every month people... Um, you know, submit videos and like just being kind of put on the spot to do actually do something and, and present in some way, um, you know, can really take your playing to new heights. And obviously, as you say, the gold standard is to uh, get out there and play. And that's ultimately what we should all be trying to do, you know, rather than just being stuck in your bedroom. Um, but yeah, trying to find those avenues um, and maybe maybe things like putting up videos uh, on the internet are good stepping stones for that. But I, I guess when it comes to playing with others, and, and this is kind of one of the focus topics I wanted to talk about today, 
is, uh, you know, what jazz guitarists have to do most of the time when they're on the bandstand. It's actually not the soloing, which is what um, everyone focuses on all the time, but there's something very, very important that gets overlooked, and that's comping. Uh, is that, oh, I thought you were going to say that's your hair or... Oh, yes. Yeah, well, that too, you know, what, what you're wearing and, and what's, what, what sort of amp you have. But yeah, comping's important as well. Uh, yeah, so so comping, and uh, you know, it, it's and to be honest, everyone always asks me in, in my website, you know, stuff about improvising, tips for soloing, and and following the changes and stuff. But actually, I, I realised recently that we haven't really up till now had a great deal of focus on comping, and that's what why your recent course that that, that we're we're just publishing now is so. Um, so important for my site. So, so what what are what are some of the uh, the the reasons that 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 comping is important for you, Greg? And and obviously you've spent a lot of time on from from what I saw in that course, you had a very systematic outline of of how to build this skill. So so you've obviously spent a lot of time on it. So 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 why is it so important for you? Um, well, I did. I I have kind of distilled it. Oh, sorry. I'll I'll come around to this question in a, in a moment, but I have kind of distilled it to some sort of, you know, approach for a course like that. But it's okay to just realize that it, it it evolves in a very haphazard way, and it did for me. And there are plenty of other styles. Like there's a world of other styles of comping that you know we could look at beyond that more straight ahead comping in in there. But look, I think the thing about comping, the most important thing to realize is it's not glamorous that but it's that's okay that's cool and um the there's a whole suite of reasons why it's really important and one is because i think you said this before unless we play like in a guitar trio format which is actually quite a challenging thing to do to be the person who's solely responsible for all the, the harmony and melody and keep it all together for a whole gig, you know, have that kind of repertoire. That's quite a challenging thing to do and it's a whole kind of discipline to work towards on its own. Unless we do that, we do spend what, most of our time, the majority of our time playing chords behind other people. And to me, like some people see that as a bit of a chore and they're just, uh, you can always kind of tell when they're just sort of playing and thinking, I'm just, I'm just killing time till I get to solo. You know, that, that's a really, I think that would be a very um, depressing way to, to feel in a band, considering you probably spend 70 or 80% of your time doing that. I, I think there's something beautiful about realizing that your role is to, to try and make other people sound good and feel good when they're playing and when you just take that mindset you're super important the whole time even if you're not the focus it's like a team it's a team attitude i mean there's, that's mm. i know that's a bit of a cliche but it's a it's a team attitude and it's also it can it brings its own kind of challenge that you you can um be kind of excited about and engaged with through a whole tune you don't mm. just have to go oh yeah i'm just doing a job like I'm just shoveling coal. Oh, I get to do my solo, you know, cool. Like you're actually, um, people might not always articulate it, but if they feel comfortable and good playing over you, then they want to hire you. But they, what I've realised is there are, there are a small echelon of people who get 
hired because they are just unbelievable soloists, right? But most people, you know, sort of below that, most people get hired for a couple of reasons. Like there's there's obviously kind of like it's good if you're a decent level soloist. If you're, if you're better than decent, that's great. But most people get hired because they make the band feel good and they make everyone else sort of sound good while, the, you know, they support. They, mm. they kind of lift up from underneath as a friend of, drummer friend of mine likes to describe how he plays. I'm supporting you up from underneath. Um, and the other reason is because they're fun to hang out within the breaks. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, how, that's how you get things. <laughs> But, um, you know, but yeah, I think that's why it's so important is because we do so much of it and it, it just, if you take that mindset, you can enjoy the whole performance and you can find challenges in every aspect of your playing, not just twiddling your thumbs until you get to the solo, busting out all your leaks suddenly realizing that, um, it's over and it was all very short and, you know, you feel a bit like, that's that's why I think comping is important. Well, it's it's jazz is jazz is ensemble music. Like the experience for the listener is is not like they they want to experience the music as as a whole. And and so that's the thing. If you are sitting there going, oh, this is a bit of a job, it it, it will come. It will actually affect the soloist, and it's going to affect the whole band because the soloist is going to pick up that there's not much energy going on there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I listen to guys like. Um, you know, Ed Bickett, his kind of comping, it's it's really creative. You know, like we actually recently did another series on Ed Bickett comping exclusively in the Academy and yeah. just the, uh, the different colors he was getting in the comping, the really creative substitutions he was doing, um, you know, rootless voicings, the, the rhythm, and, but all, not just the rhythm, but the space as well. And, and when, when, it, when it actually went into his solo, like because Ed Bickett was wonderful chord solo, soloist mm. as well as you know, it was actually almost the same as the comping. It's, it's like it's like only a few more notes, but it's the same creative process. So yeah. it can be incredibly creative comping, you know. I think that's a nice way to put it because you know you're not just in mode one, which is comping, switch over into mode two, which is soloing. You're kind of, um, I mean, I, I know this analogy gets used a lot. You're kind of in a conversation where at various times different people dominate the conversation a bit more, but it's all, you know, it's all one thing. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I have quite a lot of friends who are very musical, maybe did a lot of music when they were growing up but aren't working musicians now. And, you know, uh, my wife is like that, um, played a lot of music, and it's fascinating when we watch gigs she knows about music, right? She, she knows what's going on. But it's fascinating how much she will comment on and respond to all the kind of little interpersonal dynamics and, you know, what's going on with the band and how much they might be communicating with each other non-verbally and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that, like, we sometimes think that, oh, that's how, that's how non-musicians respond to music. They just look at all that, you know, other yeah. stuff and because they don't understand the music. Well, that's not true. That's how we all respond to music. Even yeah. if we know about music, we all respond to those extra things of looking at the kind of dynamics of, of what's going on in the performance and how people are interacting with each other. And comping is a, I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to, to do that that aren't 
are beyond what you actually play. But comping is one of the ways where you can really kind of get involved in that when you're actually playing. And and like you're talking about with um, Ed Bickett, the like great people who are great at comping can can really quickly switch between well at a very foundation they're supp- they're, they're supplying this support a framework to kind of give you melody over but above that they're kind of juggling between reacting to kind of reinforce something and occasionally just putting something in there if they hear a spot for it um playing like a an extension or a voicing or something which might give the soloist an idea that they didn't think mm. of before. The comping can have a fundamentally important effect on on the direction of a tune because you just play one voicing and the soloist, once you get to that level of hearing what's going on, they'll go, oh, that was interesting. I'm going to go in this direction now, you know. Mm. It's fun. I, I like comping. I, I actually um, just do some gigs. I, I do plenty of gigs outside of, of straight ahead jazz, you know, and, Sometimes you get one solo a night, you know, or two, right. not many. And if the band, if I'm playing with people who just enjoy the process of making the music feel good, I actually, that doesn't bother me at all if I don't solo. If if I feel like everyone's on the same page of like, are we making this groove? Are we making this swing? Are we, are we you know, like a lot, like big bands, one example of that, my job is to just contribute to the swing. It's not about mm, being creative. Mm. It's about contributing to the swing, part of pop and soul and R and B stuff. You know, contributing to the groove. Um, so I've gone. It's, on, it's on interesting a- you say it. No, this is really interesting. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me. I think uh, a few years ago, I, I did a. Uh, I was in the pit for a musical. And it was a little bit left field for me because, you know, like my my um, sort of formal training was very much classical guitar and, and from there I kind of got interested in jazz and, and kind of that's my main thing now. But this was like, it got to this point in the musical where uh, the guitarist had to do a, a screaming blue solo, you know, like with all the, the tremolo and, and bands and all that stuff. It just wasn't something I'd done much of. Like maybe I'd tried to do a bit of that like when I was like 10 years old, but that's kind of it. And uh, and it was completely uh, like I felt like a duck out of water and I'm kind of stressing about it and I go, oh man, I, I'm, I'm not that strong on that stuff. But, but the musical director, you know, he turned around to me and went, look, it's not about you. You know, you got to stop thinking it's about you. It's about the whole effect of that moment in the musical. And, and that just made it so much easier, you, you know, because if you kind of, even if you're soloing, if you think the music is all about you at that point, then, then it kind of stifles it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I've done a few, yeah, you know, because I've sort of been a bit of an all-rounder um, and, yeah, I've done a few musicals over the time, and that's a that's a really important mindset to be able to take on. Is that you know I'm I'm playing a role, and and I think um, you can bring some of that mindset to jazz and still be creative, but realize your role as bringing the whole musical experience forward rather than just sort of thinking about personal individual roles. Actually, the most recent musical I did was. Um, I spent a month and a half locked in a windowless box playing um, playing ABBA music. <laughs> right. I did. Um, we had a great musical director, Michael Azapardi, who does a lot of MDing for some of the Australian touring shows, and um, they brought the show to Canberra, and we did um, 
yeah, it was fun. It was, I mean, you know, I, the, the thing about that music is I'm not an ABBA fan, right? But um, I just took on the mindset of, you know what, it doesn't actually matter. What matters is can we make it feel good? So um, I actually enjoyed it because I spent the whole time focusing on, you know, does this feel right? Am I locking in with the the rhythm section? You know, that was, and I, that's kind of what I enjoy is that feeling. And then the soloing is just the icing on the cake for me. Oh, so it sounds sounds like you got you got you got the right attitude there, man. Uh, I, I like how you're saying. I and I um I think this is going to be a good mindset shift for a lot of people listening to this, maybe that 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 might have been placing a bit too much emphasis on the soloing and, and getting into the comping. So sorry to interrupt, but I love the soloing, right? There's no doubt. Yeah, about yeah. It. No, it's <laughs> so very fun. But um, but but being able to just do that other stuff and go, you know, some people go, oh, if I don't get any solos, it feels like a job. And I and I sort of think, well, it is a job. But I'll tell you what, it's a pretty cool job to just turn up, <laughs> and focus on, you know, making it making music feel right. It's better than packing shelves at Bunnings exactly. or you know. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's fun. Cool, man. So yeah, if uh, uh, so, if, I, I highly recommend if you're keen on on the fast path to boosting your comping skills, that you check out Greg's new deep dive comping secrets course that's in the Fret Dojo Academy, and um, and so that that you know that you know exactly how to put this skill together and maybe fill in the gaps. Um, it, it, and if you are feeling like it is a bit of a job on the bandstand. It probably means that you don't know enough about chords and you, you haven't really got into that sort of thing and, and sort of learning some, some more creative uses of chords and substitutions and that. And, uh, and so Greg's course will reveal all. I'm, I'm still working on all that too, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't know enough chords, but I'm on the path. It's fine. You know. <laughs> There's a lot of chords. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but but uh, uh, from what I saw in that course, uh, you, you're definitely going to give players a, a fantastic foundation there. So uh, make sure you check that out. But I, I want to go on to some of your um, other projects now, Greg. As I mentioned at the start of the interview, uh, you have not one but two albums coming out soon. That, that sounds like they're kind of being produced in parallel. And um, yeah, I'd lo- love to love to hear you talk about uh, what you've been up to with those. Yeah, there's two albums that are going on at the moment. One's completely recorded and just needs post-production. <clears throat> and that one's very much very live, right? So sort of some of it's just jazz trio. Some of it has um, guest piano um, spots. And with that one, I actually really deliberately wanted to kind of limit my options i actually set us all up because uh, i you know if you want to get things done nowadays and you don't have unlimited budget you have to do it yourself and over the years i've been um done a fair bit of recording and it's one of my other interests and i have access to a great studio a friend of mine runs so i i engineered all this stuff myself which had its own challenges so i this one i deliberately wanted to keep it really live we all set up in the same room and i didn't even i i tried to control the spill so that it would be mixable but i actually kind of wanted guitar to spill into the to the drum mics and and vice versa and and um, not to the point where it was unmixable, but to the point where I was just committed. I couldn't go and edit things, you know. Uh, like, right. you, nice. This is warts and all kind of. And, yeah, we still did multiple takes. 
pick the best one. I'll say, no, I didn't. It's not like I'm not super strict about how, how, how everything has to be first take or anything. But um, I really wanted that kind of um, thing. And then the other album is much more like a studio album. I've, I've taken the opportunity to get people as they're available and, um, you know, overdub things and, and do arrangements right. that I just, just wouldn't have the budget or wouldn't be practical to do um, all live maybe because they're hard and they they just or they've got like full horn sections and it just wouldn't be practical to get them all together and rehearse it up and so I'd overdub things. So mm. the second one is kind of like that. And um, I've tied them into my research a little bit because it's sort of there's a whole bunch of stuff which is maybe for another time about methodologies of sort of developing your own um, vocabulary and you know, improvisational approaches and mm -hmm. stuff. And, and they're looking at kind of two different sides of that coin for me because, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with utilising the studio as a tool. I mean, it's not like it's anything new. People have been doing it since the 70s, you know. Like some people might mm -hmm. think it's a bit controversial. Oh, maybe this second album isn't a jazz album. I don't really care whether it's called a jazz album or not. I'm just taking two different approaches to capturing original music and I'll be doing improvised solos and stuff. But the first one is like, you know, what's and all. Second one is, you know, craft it a little bit and do things that I wouldn't. So out of the first one, I get things that I would never have got out of doing it the second way. And out mm. of the second way, I, mm. I'll get things mm. that I would never have got out of the live in the studio way. Yeah, there's 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 no right or wrong, really, is it? It's just, it's just what what you want to creatively, what what your creative statement wants to be. Um, I I think it's going to be a really interesting comparison when when they both come out to kind of see those two sides of the coin. Uh, I could I can really rec resonate uh, though what you're saying with that aspect of just kind of the warts and all approach because this is what I because you know I produce a lot of videos now, like often I'm kind of just uh, releasing videos of, of um, you know, some soloing or, or, or playing standards or whatever. But what I find is when there, when there is a time limit and when it just has to be that take because that, that's, that's all I can do that day, often that's when the best stuff comes out, I, I find, when it comes to improvisation because you, you can't sort of be too precious or attached, but that kind of, that raw kind of sound is actually beneficial it's kind of part of the sound of jazz. yeah I, I think so i think most people um can cope with a little bit of um i mean whether or not they even hear something as a wrong note they might just have heard it as an interesting choice exactly. i might have thought that's a wrong note because <laughs> i heard this and it didn't come out like that but it doesn't mean they heard, right. heard it as a wrong note so it's hard to put yourself in that position where you're thinking how other people are listening rather than what you wanted. And, and sometimes you have to just go, yeah, you know, that's just how it is. And um, I've, like I said, I've been a bit neglectful in putting out my stuff I've, since I did the other one like 10 years ago. Um, but, um, yeah, I'll try and make up for it by putting out two at once. <laughs> Which is like completely <laughs> no. dumb strategy, probably. But um, anyway, it's fine. I'm not doing this for, um, you know, for marketing purposes. <laughs> I'm doing it to get my stuff out there. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sh it would have been cool if if it was like on a on an LP or something like that. So you could have like one album on one side, one on the other. And I've seen albums like that over the years, like two two completely different albums on the on the one disc. So um, yeah, that. 
might be interesting. Yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic, Greg. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing these albums released. But for everyone listening right now, we've got a special sneak peek of one of the tracks of Greg's upcoming albums. Uh, let's check it out. Okay, well, we're all really looking forward with bated breath when these new albums are released, Greg, and uh, I assume we'll be able to get them uh, from your website when the when they're launched? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so that's uh, gregstott.com.au, Stott with two Ts at the end, and uh, we'll have a link to that in the uh, accompanying post on my website for this interview, so make sure you check that out. Uh, so, um, uh, well, uh, just uh, if we've got a bit more time, there's a few questions that I always love to ask uh, uh, guys that come on the show. Um, so we'll just do some rapid fire questions now. So uh, number one, what do you think is the most important things jazz guitar students should do in their practice session? And, and kind of along the same lines, if a player was starting from scratch, what would be the logical progression of exercises for learning jazz guitar yeah that's that's a tricky one and uh, you did say if they're starting from scratch but like obviously um was one of the things that's really hard to say is like where people are at will obviously change what's involved in each sort of short and medium term goals in practice sessions um maybe one thing just to start off with on that is from the very beginning what i would really pay attention to is work out really make mental notes about what inspires you when you hear something or when you um see something 
take a note of that because um, there are going to be times when you're practicing where you're really struggling to kind of, um, you know, be motivated. And we all know, we all go through these cycles of motivation. And if you've thought about, if you've been sort of paying attention and you notice the things that inspire you, just manipulate that situation, recreate. Say, oh, I noticed that when I went to that jam session a couple of months ago, that really inspired me. I'm going to go back. And, or I noticed that, it, you know, I uh, turned on this radio station or I listened to this album. I haven't listened to that album for a while. I'm going to go back. So you have to kind of work out. I know this is more general advice rather than a specific thing to practice, but pay attention to the things that get you fired up and just, you know, even if you write them down and journal them and when you're feeling a bit bogged down, just go back and and feed yourself some of that inspiration. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but I think it's one of those things that's really easy to forget. And probably going along with that, um, I actually think this is probably quite different to some other disciplines. And I know you're well-versed in classical and jazz, so maybe you'd be best to com comment on this. But I think in jazz we need to, it's really important to leave ourselves time to just noodle around and Definitely. explore and create. And, um, I mean, I think sometimes guitarists, particularly are um, maybe are really good at the noodling around and aren't always like aren't as good at the getting a discipline to their routine. So maybe with guitarists it's often the opposite problem. Mm. But some, you know, it, it is a really important part of playing. Uh, it's just leaving self time to do kind of free exploration. And it's one of those things that it just applies whether you're at, no matter what level you're at, mm. I would say. Yeah, I, I I would say that's that's really important, and uh, it was actually why I gravitated towards playing jazz because I was I was finding sure like I could play all the 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 sort of the big things you're supposed to play as a classical player and kind of uh, you know uh, got on top of all those, but it was just there was like I'm a creative person there was just, there just wasn't sort of enough there like like I was missing that time when I was fooling around as a kid um you know you yeah. know when I was starting out and so I just I just couldn't help but being drawn back to that kind of thing as well uh but but yeah I think it is something people miss isn't it just just not not giving themselves time to fool around and, and not not kind of be too hung up on you know, learning everything possible, but actually making use of the things that you have learned. It's it's better to actually have a few tools that you know really well than a than a whole bunch of tools in your tool shed that you kind of really don't know how to use properly. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I do say to my students is I I kind of give them permission to do that, but I do kind of say, you know what, like let's develop because they're at a particular level with their study. So they, they have to do some structured stuff, no doubt about it. Um, but I say, let's talk a bit about a plan for what I want you to take care of and then do the, do that stuff afterwards. Mm. Um, you know, a bit of a eat your greens before you dessert. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't go straight to the, the, to the dessert, you know, yeah. cause you're never going to want to go back to beans after you've eaten ice cream. <laughs> So, you know, just giving yourself a, a few little, um, you know, keeping yourself in line like that, you know, taking care of a few things, even if it's only one structured thing that, that is consistent over a period of a few days or a week or a month and then giving yourself that time. Mm. No, and what that structured thing is is completely dependent on what level you're at and, and, you know, what your teacher might have identified as a thing you need to do, you know. Sure, sure. 
thing. Hey, let, let's. Uh, uh, this is a hard question, um, but but let's talk about real specifics now. Like, what do you think has been the biggest kind of return on investment for the time that you've spent learning something when it comes to jazz guitar? Like, like what what would have been the biggest game changer of something that that really pushed your playing forward? If we kind of ignore the the experiential stuff, like actually getting to play with people, those things are like the biggest mm, things, absolutely. Mm. The experiential stuff of like getting an opportunity to play in some situation and being inspired by it and um, making me just want to practice, giving me, recharging me and so on. But um, if we get into actual real specific technical playing things, I, I'm not sure. That is a hard one to answer, but I don't know that this is the biggest one, but I'll tell you one. It's like um, I pick a certain way um it's kind of really an economy style thing and whether it's right or wrong it, you know as Darth Vader said it's too late for me my son <laughs> it, like it's just how I do it but I can certainly that's one thing that that I do that I can really pinpoint back to one experience which is um I had not been playing very guitar for very long at all when I went to see Frank Avalia and I didn't have any alternate picking together and I didn't, um, and, you know, he was talking about his whole thing and uh, maybe it was just the stage I was at at that time or whatever and I took it home and worked on it for a couple of weeks and and suddenly some stuff just clicked, mm. you know. I, I Like a lot of people think guitar trajectories go like this. Yeah, like like this is this is an audio probably. So what Greg's doing is kind of like a linear linear graph, going yeah, you know, like sort of like a, a sort of a logical gradual accumulation. Yeah, but it's not quite like that, is it? No, they go in fits and starts. Like you you might plateau for a little while, and suddenly you get a spike where you know you just something really takes mm. off. I'm not sure that I would necessarily recommend that way to everyone else. I mean, I actually. Um, when it comes to technique, there isn't one right way mm. to play the guitar. And I think it's important to spend, subsequently I've worked on other things enough that I can take people through a range of things and then they have to do a bit of self-evaluation about what kind of works for them. And that might come from who the players they're interested in. Um, it's a tricky question. <laughs> it is. I guess another one, I can point to one other example, right? There was a time when, in, when I was in uni and it was probably my second year and I had a little RSI um, problem with my fretting hand mm. wrist and sort of across the top of my hand. It certainly wasn't a bad one. Didn't, it maybe made me miss one recital, put it off by a month or two. Um, but when I got back into playing after letting it heal, it was a really transformative I'm actually glad it happened because it made me just reevaluate the amount of tension uh, in my hand. Right. Right. So, and I didn't have a lot of tension really before that, but I had enough that when I went through some really intense patches of playing a lot, it was enough to be a problem. Mm. And so that was a really transformative kind of experience where I had to start playing again and just, just, develop um this really kind of relaxed minimal touch you know uh, working on just trying to enjoy the process and only playing with as much tension as i needed wow. and and i'm actually not many people say they're they're glad about getting rsi but 
Um, well, um, but yeah, I would say actually that was a really good learning experience for me. Wow. I don't know whether that totally answers. No, no, your... that's it's uh, it's it's not it's the 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 questions kind of aren't to get the ultimate answers, but I just find often really interesting things come out when I ask these questions. That's all. So. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, um, I know these were supposed to be rapid fire, but the, the, your responses have been so interesting. Mate, mate, let's not worry about that. But let's uh, let's go to um, uh, what do you think of the? I think this would be an interesting question. Like when you see people trying to learn jazz, or specifically jazz guitar, uh, what do you think the biggest mistakes and myths are? When it when it when it when it comes like what's leading them down the wrong path and what's making them waste their time? What, what do you think? Oh, that's a really easy one, because they think that you can just learn it from a book. Yeah, you don't don't listen to it. Yeah, sure. Um, and that it can become very look. I love theory. I love trying to learn new stuff, but it can become very easy to get trapped in um, this idea that there's that there's always some new magical piece of theory that I'm going to come across which is going to solve everything. Mm. And, you know, I can't remember who used to joke, who I used to joke with about this, but it was something like, you know, I used to joke with students about, I'm going to tell you the big secret. Do you want to know what the big secret is? The big secret is that there is no secret. <laughs> and, I mean, learning to play jazz is kind of like that. I mean, there are lots and lots of really useful bits of information you'll pick up along the way. But, um, the, you know, you just have to make sure you listen to it. Um, it's like trying to imagine, this would never happen, but imagine you were trying to learn how to talk without actually, ever actually opening your mouth. Exactly. Um, you know, or, or without listening to other people and trying to copy what they do. That's how we learn, you know, and then later on we refine it with theory and grammar and it's, it's sort of the same with jazz music. Just remember to listen to it. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Or any music, not just jazz music, any music, you know. Um, you, but- you, know you know what, actually, because I think um, when I was learning classical because I kind of went through all these structured grades and structured learning and, and all this sort of thing, and, uh, but, but I, I reckon when it came to classical stuff, where my playing really took off was when I actually took the time to sit down with like a John Williams video and basically just learned to play along with every single track on that video like, like and just kind of got, got into it that way like and that's kind of the ironic thing I've found is is that kind of taking the the approaches I've learned to learning jazz without even doing hardly any classical playing now when I do sit down to play a classical piece I'm actually a lot better player. <laughs> Yeah, because it teaches you. I mean, it teaches you so much about nuance and and uh, look. I, I'm I'm big on reading and you know theory, but you know it's not for everyone. And I'm not I'm not a total um, zealot about it. All that stuff, just copying people and listening, teaches you all about nuance and inflection mm. and all this stuff you just can't get from the score. And and um, you know, and understanding the history and the context. That's something I always like. Is you know, like. Players aren't always just who they are because of, um, you know, their musical influences. They're often who they are because of what was happening in their lives mm-hmm. or in society and, you know, um, things like that at the time. Sure. No, great, 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 great answer. <laughs> this is great. This is gold, man. All right. Um, so uh, I might skip the next one. I was going to ask you what 
favourite instructional books, DVDs, or other resources. But it sounds like you're not a huge fan of fan of learning. Oh from no, books. I absolutely am. I mean, like I, I just think, um, you know, I am. And there's a bunch that I, I use. I had a few VHSs of, um, you know, people, and and I um, I like some of the Joe Pascal style mm. series books. You know, I think they're really good for someone. I mean, I don't look. I play other stuff other than jazz, but like you know, how can you go wrong with Joe Pass if you're interested in jazz? I mean, it's like the distilled essence of jazz guitar mm, right there. Mm. Um, there's a for comping. There's a Barry Goldbraith um, book in the Jamie Abersold series, oh, yeah. which is quite good with lots of etudes and comping. Um, and Barry Goldbraith has some sort of solo guitar arrangement stuff too, which kind of I find really useful because you know sometimes in jazz. Like, yes, improvisation is one of the fundamental kind of important things in jazz. But a lot of the time, you know, maybe pe people don't spend enough time, like maybe they prioritise the improvisation at the expense of actually kind of trying to sound right. Mm, mm. And I, I know this might be controversial for some people, but in certain, maybe there's styles of jazz where maybe this isn't relevant, but in certain styles of jazz, it's actually okay to go. I might not be improvising that much at the moment, but I'm but I'm sounding appropriate. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Maybe other styles. That's cool. It's not a. It's you know. It is much more like improvisation trumps everything. Um. Sorry. Talking about books. Um. So those books, like just rhythm reading things like Ted Green and I mean, you, you know, I've, the real book, obviously. I mean, certainly listing trumps all of those. Mm. You know. Yeah, uh, and and just just to, uh, lastly, what do you think? Like as as jazz guitar teachers or jazz teachers, like how do you reckon we can best help our students become accomplished players? That's um. So I t I'm in a position now where I, I I haven't taught young students and um for a long time. And you know what? I I think there are people, so many people around who would just do. A way better job than me at that. Mm. I get to teach students. I'm lucky. I get to teach students of a certain kind of standard. So I can only on that one. I can only really comment on my experience, which is you have to you have to kind of um, respond to. You have to be able to assess and respond to individual needs. Like uh, I think at certain levels in education, it's like having really structured stuff is really important and um, will you know benefit them and you in terms of you know you're being up sustainable in your teaching mm. and so on but then at other levels uh it does become very much about helping them evaluate not just like the the technical and musical strengths and weaknesses in their playing and sort of coming up with things that um that uh will help them with that but also helping them kind of work out you know what you really want to be um as a musician because that's a hard thing so uh, it might sound really corny right but a kind of an empathy with with and finding a, an appropriate kind of professional balance between you know giving them a bit of a hard time if they didn't practice enough but but kind of doing it in a way which makes them feel good about music and trying to inspired to do more rather than just, you know, sort of like whiplash style kind of. Cracking I mean, the whip, oh. the, the bamboo stick. 
What a terrible movie. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, uh, I watched that a couple of years ago and and, uh, had nightmares after that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so uh okay great well well uh you know from what you were saying there it's it's clear you're a wonderful teacher so if anyone's keen on on um you know uh p- picking up uh, jazz at, at anu I, I'd, I'd highly recommend that uh, got got a great faculty there and especially greg on on jazz guitar so um yeah it's been fantastic having you on the on the show today greg it's been a wonderful uh, kind of you know the that I think we started with a bit of an outline for this uh, session, but we went into all sorts of really interesting tangents. So it's probably like uh, sort of, the, the, yeah, kind of kind of jazz, uh, jazz conversation. So for everyone that's listening now, if you're keen on de- uh, working with Greg in my website, uh, he's recorded a fabulous course on comping, as I mentioned before. Uh, it's, it's one of the best courses that's actually in the academy. Um, you know, in terms of the depth of instruction. And it's also a very important topic that I'm glad that we've had the chance to cover that. So if you want to get your 14-day free trial to the Fret Dojo Academy, you just need to go to my website, fretdojo.com. Uh, all the details are on the homepage there. And uh, Greg, so uh, w- I should um, ask you, what's the best way people can find you uh, if they want to get your existing album or to find out when your next albums are coming up or, or to, to book you for, for, for gigs or whatever? W- w- how can we find out about that? Ah, uh, well, so does anyone go to websites anymore? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe probably the best way if you is um, just, you know, follow my Instagram because I'm sure I'll put stuff up on that. But you, what you will have to do if you follow my Instagram is put up with the occasional um, picture of my dog. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's usually just sort of musicy guitar gig related stuff. Not a lot. I'm not a serial poster, but I do occasionally put my dog in there. Just, um, but I would certainly put some stuff up on that or my Facebook if uh, when when that stuff comes out. Um, I do have a website which I think you mentioned is gregstott.com.au, and um, or if you want to email me, you could probably get me through that. Or if you look up the ANU School of Music and find me on the staff page there, there'll be a, my ANU email there. And if anyone just wants to get in touch and say hello that's i'm I'm all for that i mean um, depending on how busy life is sometimes it might take me a couple of days to say hi back but um i'm totally open to that yeah oh for sure man yeah, so, so make sure you check out Greg's website at gregstott.com.au and it's spelled Greg Stott, all one word with two T's at the end of Stott. So uh, make sure you check that out. And Greg's Instagram account is Greg Stott Guitar, all one word. And uh, I'm sure you can search for him there. So, okay, Greg, well, it's been absolutely a pleasure having you on the show. I've got a lot out of uh, this conversation today, and I'm sure our listeners definitely have as well. So I really appreciate you taking your time uh, today, and we're really looking forward uh, to your upcoming album releases. Thanks, Greg. I'm I'm honoured to be asked, and uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Okay, man, take care, and we'll talk to you soon.
Thank you. Bye. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Greg Stott at gregstott.com.au. That's his website there. And you can find out about Greg's upcoming album releases and his existing album on that website. Uh, his new albums will be released very soon. And, um, and as you can hear, Greg is a fabulous teacher. So if you're keen on learning some comping secrets with him, uh, we've got that Academy uh, course that's just been published in my Fret Dojo Academy. Um, you can get your 14 day free trial for the Academy by going to www.fretdojo.com. Okay guys, well until next time, it's Greg O'Rourke signing off. I'll talk to you soon.